Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Today's episode is one of those special ones that I do every month, although I think we missed a couple, uh, for the Austin Technology Council. So today's episode is co-produced with the ATC. Now, who is the Austin Technology Council? The Austin Technology Council is the leading organization in Central Texas for technology professionals. ATC empowers their members through insights, resources, and connections so that their members can succeed and thrive. And I am so proud of the partnership that we have with them here at Making Waves at Sea Level. Now, before we get started, I have to thank the first sponsor of this episode. So today's episode is brought to you by Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. They know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising. They know how to offer simplified, one-stop shop destination for your marketing solutions. And they know what makes our cities and towns tick because they're our neighbors. They are the most trusted media partner in America, and you can find them at SpectrumReach.com. So today, as I said, is one of the ATC, Austin Technology Council, co-produced episodes. And what Austin Technology Council does for me is they provide some of their members as our guests. And I am always blown away at how awesome the people who they send my way are. Now, today's guest is someone I have known for probably 20 years. She has been a serial entrepreneur and leader in the technology industry in Austin for as long as I can remember. And I've always been sort of a secret admirer because she does great things. So today's guest is Joyce Durst, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Growth Acceleration Partners. And basically what they do, they help companies figure out how to use technology to make their business bigger and stronger. And we're going to find out a little bit about how to do that today. So Joyce Durst, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much, Tom. I'm so excited to be here. And I have to say, I have been in the Tom Senior fan club for about two decades as well. So I'm <laughs> thrilled to be able to spend a little bit of time with you. No, I'm, I'm excited about this interview because I, I know who you are, but I probably don't know that much about what you do. And that always makes the interview more fun uh, for the listeners. I don't really prep the guests very much. So it is like a conversation sitting in a bar, having a glass of wine. And when people talk about the fact they like the interviews on, on this show or on the other two shows I host, the webinar talk show or the Digital Enterprise Society uh, podcast, I always tell people they're not scripted because here's the trick. Conversations don't have scripts. So uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. So Joyce, give us a little bit of your background. How did you start out in business? Well, so I'm the, uh, I think a surprise to my family a little bit. I'm the only person in my family to have ever gone to college, sadly, before me or after me. I'm hoping that changes at some point. Um, and I just had a true love for math and science. So after graduating with an engineering degree, I have been in the world of software for 35 years now. What, did you graduate and college at 12 years old? I, that, I, do, I love you, Tom. I do. <laughs> I love you. 
Uh, for a really so long time. I started out my career at IBM and thought the world could not get any better than that. It was such a great experience for a 22-year-old. Um, but And over my career, I have held uh, positions in sales, in marketing, in engineering, uh, product management, a little bit of everything on my path to being an entrepreneur and CEO. So, you know, if you go back 35 years, let's just talk about the elephant before, in the room. Before computers? Be- before computers. Uh, well, no, I mean, there were computers. They were just the size of my, my room, my, the room that yeah. I'm sitting in. But if you yeah. go back 35 years, women getting engineering degrees wasn't nearly as popular. Some of the top engineering schools are really proud of the fact, like my daughter, she was a business major, but she graduated from Carnegie Mellon, which is oh, one of the top engineering schools in the, in the world. And they're really proud that they've now got their freshman classes up to 50-50, right? It, it if you right. go back 35 years, engineering schools did not have a lot of women graduating with engineering degrees and then going to work in, in sales and, and for software and other stuff. What was that like? Yeah, so in my first uh, big class, I'm a graduate of Texas A&M um, for seven women out of a class of 250. Um, so, yeah, so that was unusual. And to be a you know, have a a woman lead a technology company, even today in 2020, is still highly unusual. So I'm a big proponent of pushing, you know, young girls into STEM education. And do I want to see more women running tech companies? Absolutely. But for tech companies to succeed, we need diversity of thought. And that means men, women, different age groups, different cultures. We have to have diversity if we're going to have really strong solutions. Well, and, and that's interesting. I uh, Some of the listeners know I also work, in addition to being a podcaster and, and a speaker, I also work for an executive search firm. And the executive search firm that I work, we, we had a call with a potential client the other day, and I brought my boss in, in on the call because I'm still relatively new. And they asked about diversity and diversity of thought. And this has been something that, that Stanton Chase has always been a part of. Last year, like something like in North America, 30% of their placements would have been diversity hires. This is an important thing. And all the studies that I'm reading as I'm learning about, you know, things around HR and success in order to be good at my job in executive search, all the studies show that when you have diversity, age diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, gender, but also where people went to college, what, what area yeah. of the country or the world they come from, the more diversity, it shows that companies do better. So why has it taken us so long to get there? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, uh, but I do think so. I, I agree with you, right? All the studies show that the more diverse an exec team is, the more diverse the leadership team, on average, those team, those companies will do on a profit kind of basis about 30% better. And they'll do that with less capital. So I'm kind of with you, like, who doesn't want that? Like, would you like $5 or $10? I'll take 10. Uh, I'll take $10. There you go. I knew you're a smart guy. <laughs> so when did you make the, the transition from companies like IBM and other tech companies that, that you worked for in a variety of roles to being that entrepreneur? You know, I had spent time at IBM, which I loved. And then I was fortunate to ride a rocket ship called BMC Software. Um, you know, as it when I was one of the first kind of 400 employees. And when I left, the company was just it was about $1.7 billion in size. It was there for 12 years. Fantastic experience. At that point, I really wanted to be more in control of the culture 
and really be in a place where we could be incredibly agile, we could lead with values and create both customer and employee experiences um, the, in the way that, you know, I believe people wanted. And so for at that, at that point, it was time for me to go into the world of uh, VC-backed companies. I became CEO of a security-backed VC company. And honestly, Tom, over the, you know, I was there for six years before we sold that, made every possible mistake <laughs> a first-time CEO could make, failed this way, that way, and every way. Um, but I learned from every single failure and brought that uh, as education to Growth Acceleration Partners who I founded. And we've been you know, profitable since the first month. So it's interesting. You talk about learning from mistakes. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of us, you know, especially, you know, those of us who, who maybe came of age, you know, 20, 30 years ago, hi, you know, we didn't wear our mistakes on our sleeve. Now that's kind of a thing. It's a badge of honor to have failed over the last 20 years and especially in, in and around technology. You know, I think that it's people are a little more to admit that. But 30 years ago, people wouldn't go, oh, yeah, I totally made mistakes in that job. I think that's a good thing, though. I'm learning the more I can uncover my mistakes, the better I get. Why do you think there's been that shift in our society? And do you think there's been a shift? I, I think that there's been in certain types of leaders. I certainly think that there's been a shift. I think servant based leadership has taken hold. I think there's been a recognition that if leaders are more vulnerable and more open, other people can learn faster. And, and I told, I just absolutely embrace that. So, and, and I think if we even think about COVID, the year of 2020, that I'm not sure will ever end. But if you think about the amount of things and change and acceleration that has happened in this year because of all of the bad things that were occurring, um, we've advanced you know, decades in terms of how to have telehealth and telemedicine, how to work from home. And those things, when things are going smoothly, people wouldn't have, they wouldn't have adopted those changes. So struggling and learning through, you know, difficult times, that's the way we grow. So what do you think there is uh, some of the, you bring up COVID, what are some of the lasting effects you think that are going to impact business? You know, there's a lot of things that are published that say, oh, people will never go back to the office. The world will work remote. I'm not totally sold on that. It, it, it seems interesting that the companies that are press releasing how we will never go back to the office are companies like Microsoft, who happen to have a product called Microsoft Teams. It yeah. seems that the companies who are like, yay, remote working are like social media companies and remote communication company. You know, Zoom, by the way, is all for people never going back to the office. Sure. But but regular rank and file companies, I think that their attitude is, yeah, we want for culture and other reasons, we want to bring people back. So what do you think some of the lasting effects from COVID will be? Well, one I just mentioned, telehealth, uh, that that is like a huge benefit to the population for people for, you know, mental health, being able to have greater access on a more regular basis for people that are in rural communities, being able to access to specialists. So in the healthcare field, some of those things are never going back on the, you know, on the work from home on the, Hey, I don't know about you, but I have, um, I have bird feeders out in my backyard. I love the birds. The fact now that I can go to the bird store, I don't have to go in. They just come put it in the trunk. That is not going back. I am happy to have that change happen. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are going to have groceries delivered for the rest of their life. 
Well, and we can now have cocktails. You mentioned wine when we started. We can have cocktails delivered as part of our meal now. Oh, yeah, that's not going back in the bottle. I I will say, though, that my wife and I still go to the store because we buy avocados every three days. And therefore, you cannot have your groceries delivered because nobody can bring you the correct avocado. I have a magical ability to pick a ripe avocado that's perfect. But if you've ever seen the meme, like not ready, not ready, not ready, not ready, ready, spoiled, ready. <laughs> yeah. that's the avocado. So you got to do your own shopping if you're an avocado aficionado. Exactly. Well, we're Texans. We cannot live without tacos on a regular basis. Yeah. I've had to explain to my friends from other countries on, yes, tacos are for breakfast. Yes, tacos are for lunch. And yes, tacos are for dinner. I co-host the uh, Digital Enterprise Society podcast with uh, the former head of PLM for General Motors. And he's, you know, in his 60s. He's a total engineer. Uh, We would have probably never met if it wasn't for my speaking career and we crossed paths. But he always is arguing the benefits of of Michigan over Texas with me, like on air. And I just I always have the same answer. I go two (laughs) words for you, Craig, tacos and barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, there's no contest there. So so that's a great transition because today's episode is co-hosted with the Austin Technology Council, which I know that you have been super involved with for many years. I mm-hmm. believe you've probably been on their board. Um, why is Austin such an awesome, awesome place for business? You know, I think it's a place where uh, innovation is just a normal part of our day. Like this is a big idea city. Uh, And I think you couple that with the other real strength of Austin for me is it's a relationship town. So I'll tell you, Tom, so in my entire, I've been in Austin since 94. Uh, I have never had anyone turn me down. If I have called and said, hey, could I have 15 minutes? I just want to get your opinion or get your insights, learn from your experience. I've never once had anyone turn me down to share of themselves. So that's interesting because I I certainly, especially, you know, I've been kind of out of the scene for 10 years because I was speaking around the country. But I used to say that about Austin. I think it's I think it's waned a little, but I still think there's that anybody will take your call thing. But it used to be you could go to the Austin Technology Council or TechChange or the High Tech Happy Hour back in the day. And you would have venture backed CEOs. You would have venture capitalists and you would have rank and file employees and the receptionist. And anybody could be in any circle and everybody was respectful of that. And that was something I never saw with all my travels in any other city. And I do think we don't have it quite at that level anymore, but I think there is remnants of it. Yeah, yeah, I certainly do as well. And if you couple that kind of desire to build relationships with a city that is, you know, always learning, always innovating, always trying to look for the next big idea, right, you get a you get a magical thing right? That doesn't happen in very many cities. So Austin, I think in one of the trades this week was just named the number one tech city. Um, And yeah, we've got a, that's going to go on for years. And it's a place obviously where, you know, it's not Michigan. We don't have to, you know, we leave your snow shovel wherever that is. So yeah, we've got a great future here. And tacos and barbecue. And tacos and barbecue. So, you know, Austin's been, for me, I've been here just a little bit longer than you. I got here in 91 and July 91 is when Austin sort of bounced from the recession of the 80s and has never really stopped. Even the recessions that we've had since the early 90s, Austin has not been affected that much. We've continuously grown and we've continuously drawn in amazing entrepreneurs. So what is the magnet? You know, what else? What's the other reason? There got to be more reasons why people keep coming. 
Well, again, I think it's the whole picture, right? So it's a tax structure in the state. So we're getting so I'm on the board of the Austin Chamber of Commerce. We are getting, you know, lots of requests on a daily basis from companies on the East Coast and the West Coast. You know, it is the, you know, certainly it's the food, it's the weather, and it's the people and the access to talent. Mm -hmm. So that's the part I do worry about for some of the companies because I'm like, wow, we need to, we need to get a lot more engineers in this city pretty quickly because we are seeing such an influx of, you know, companies that want to, you know, look at the new Tesla plant we're going to get, right? There's a lot of people coming to Austin. So it's good. I talked to someone who's moving here. They bought a house sight unseen. They just called a realtor and the realtor sent them pictures and he's moving his company from New York. It's a startup. And he's like, New York is with COVID and everything else. And they, they picked Austin and you know, he had the means to do it, but he just, he literally bought a house. He figured out if I don't like it, I can sell it. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's a commitment. It's a small company. There's only a few people who have to move, but it was like, wow, that's buying your house sight unseen is, is an effort. Yeah, we're seeing that more and more. I had an executive who's moving from New York uh, to Austin and asked me, you know, where should I buy a house? And I'm thinking like a Texan, right? And I'm like, well, there's lots of great neighborhoods. Think of these. And I'm like, but, you know, you might be prepared. These will be a little bit more. And he's like, oh, well, not for me. <laughs> I'm like coming from New York. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. You come from New York or California. You're like, look yeah. at how cheap the house is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've been doing this for a long time. What do you love about being a leader in a business? You know, I have been a CEO, like I think this is my 20th year to be a CEO. Um, So I'm a servant-based leader. I love the serving part. And I, for me, the most fun for me is getting a group of people together and a whiteboard and let's brainstorm kind of great ideas. And then just watching the magic happen on, they take, you know, my little tiny idea and make it 10 times better. So I love being able to say, hey, values matter, diversity matters, those two things that is our competitive advantage. And then you guys go build the company that we all want to work in. And I love that part. Do you ever have any things you don't like? Are there any days you think I could have stayed at IBM and not have this headache? <laughs> you know, I think all there are days for, like that for all CEOs, you know, where you're like, oh man, that thing's just not working, right? That is not working. I'm going to have to go you know, go back out there and go, yep, that was mine. That was a complete miss. Let's just throw that aside and try something else. I think the great thing about being in a small company is the ability to change directions more quickly. You know, in a big company, there's a lot of advantages and stability and all of those things. But in a small company, you really can be agile. So if something is like, hey, I really tried that and that People are like, they're not eating that broccoli. Go, you know, we don't have to serve broccoli anymore. Let's do something else. So I've done some some research on like, you know, how people get stuck behind their potential. We've all seen it in 20 years. I'm sure you've had employees where you, you hire Becky and you think, oh my God, she's so great. She's going to transform the company. And then a year later, you're trans- transferring Becky out of the company. How come you think some people who have potential and some companies who have potential make it and succeed and other people just get stuck? Uh, So it could be a little bit different for people and companies, but one thing that's uh, consistent, I think, is uh, you get to a place where you don't want to take the risk. And and for me in my career, you heard I've held a lot of different positions. Some of those positions 
were lateral or some of them maybe even were a little bit down. But for me, it was so important to gain the breadth of experience. Um, and some people are not willing to do that. They're like, hey, you know, I'm making $100. I'm not going to move down to 98 to go be in marketing or I'm not going to move over here to learn engineering. And, and I see people limit their future success by focusing on a really short-term kind of gain. And I see companies do the same thing. You'll see companies, we both know companies, where it's like it's very clear that that market is dwindling, right? Or profits are getting squeezed. And they are so unwilling to let go of that thing that they know to grasp onto this other thing that is scary. and. You know, that that's what I see happen. And, you know, you got to be able to take some risk if you're going to climb to the top. Well, in, in my own journey, when I turned 50, I made this proclamation that I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I spent the last four years trying to figure out what that even means. And <laughs> the motto that came along with it was try new things. And I started speaking about that in my speeches, both on how do you connect and network and engage, and also my talks that I was doing on, on potential and performance. And this try new things found its way into a lot of what I was doing. So I, I really started to unpack it. And I realized something about myself over you know the past 50 years or the previous 50 years. I had what is probably, a, I'm finding a pretty common thing, and that is I didn't say yes to things unless I had a pretty clear path that I was going to be successful. And mm -hmm. so I skipped a lot of opportunities because I thought, oh, what if I fail? People will judge me as a failure. And I didn't go pursue things that may have made my career even a bigger deal because I, I sort of played it safe. Uh, do you see that as a common thing? Uh, really common, really common. And I'll tell you, I, I have uh, one-on-ones in our, we have 315 or so people in the company right now. There's many being added, I'm trying to keep up with. Um, but in I have uh, about 30 plus one-on-ones a month with people from all different sides of the company. And one of the, the one question you can be guaranteed I will always ask is, what are you learning right now? And I don't care if it has to do with technology or not. You're learning, like we're building software, you're learning how to build robots or you know, you're taking some karate thing. Great. But every single person needs to say, I am learning this mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, to your point, some of those things might turn into something great and they might turn into, you know, nothing more than, hey, that was a really interesting kind of journey. I just went on for a little bit and I'm going to go take this direction. Um, yeah. But my latest, my latest thing is, is I, uh, my future son-in-law, I've taken to calling him my son-in-law because COVID <laughs> is, has postponed their wedding twice. But you say, uh, does your daughter know that yeah, you're calling I, him it? I, I, I have uh, two daughters. I have a 23-year-old and an 18-year-old. And the 23-year-old uh, twice has had to postpone her wedding because of COVID. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, you, you got a feel for a kid. She's planned two different locations. They had to move it because the resort closed. And yeah. All this and and then it, it got postponed the second time. So I've just started calling him my son-in-law. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he is he's a math genius. He's one of the smartest twenty-six-year-old mathematicians in the world, really. Very. And yeah, he is really smart, and he loves to play chess. And mm -hmm. you know, he and I get along great, but we don't have a lot in common. So I am really trying that I'll, I'm going to learn to play chess. And when I was younger, I tried to learn to play chess twice, and in mm -hmm. both cases chess is really hard. And so I, <laughs> I didn't keep up with it. And yeah. in this whole new sort of try new things era, you know, chess is one of the things I'm, I spent months now. I'm not good enough to play him yet, but someday, 
you know, I'll get there. So it's it's a matter of learning. But I'm finding that the chess is helping me with this whole reinvention I have to do because of COVID, because every little move, whether it's with my executive search career that I've taken on, whether it's with my speaking business, with the podcast that I do, every move changes the board. And mm-hmm. I don't think I looked at the world that way before. So you're right about what are you learning? Because if you're learning over here, it helps you over there. Yeah, I've asked uh, like all of my leadership team for the past couple of months has been going through uh, scenario planning. So I devised four different scenarios of some of the craziest possible things that could happen in the world and some that maybe aren't so crazy. Everything from China becomes a dominant world power to, you know, we have pandemics, you know, we have three more in the next 10 years. I mean, just every possible thing that could happen. And I'm and I asked them, imagine our company in that scenario and tell me kind of what changes. And it's been interesting on the engineering leaders on like, well, we don't know which of these is going to happen. And I'm like, I know <laughs> that's the whole, <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> we don't. So yeah, just getting people to get outside of their day to day and imagine all the different possibilities for themselves and for their companies uh, can only benefit them. Well, Joyce, I'm having a ball on this conversation, but I've got a few more questions before I can let you go. Okay. And yet I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode before we can move on. So this episode, like all of them, is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly, they take the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating uh, creating great content growing your audience, and interviewing people who are making waves in their business like Joyce Durst. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Joyce, I used to call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now with Growth Acceleration Partners? Uh, the coolest thing we're doing that I'm really, really excited about is just one month ago, we hired our first ever chief innovation officer, a guy named Dave Moore, who uh, was a very high level uh, technology consultant at IBM. And before that was a key architect and franchise leader at Electronic Arts. So exactly the right kind of guy that we needed and really have him focused on how we can help our customers accelerate their technology transformation with cloud optimization and with data transformation. And so I'm really, he is, he is definitely shaken up the apple cart with some great ideas. So I'm thrilled that he's on board with us. So let's talk about a chief innovation officer. So it, yeah. it sounds super cool. What does it mean? And, and what caused you to take that step? Cause not every company has that. I mean, everybody's got a CFO, but not everybody has this. Yeah, what really caused us is I just, I saw that the need for technology was accelerating across all kinds of companies. And if companies want to do a better job of improving their customer experience, engaging with customers, using data, um, and reducing, you know, making their businesses more efficient, um, you, you got to have, you got to bring more ideas to them at a much faster pace. And so for us, Dave is, is with us and he literally, he this is an idea guy, um, is like, hey, here are all the different ways 
this client can use technology that they've never thought about. And, and so uh, I'm loving it. And, you know, asking us really hard questions. Why aren't we doing this yet? It's exactly, it's exactly what we needed to accelerate our pace of growth in the company. So I said in the introduction that, that what you do is, is that you help companies use technology to make their business bigger and stronger. So tell us a little bit about what the company does. How do you do so that? Well, yeah, how do we do that? So we define strategy, technology strategy for our clients. We design and build the next gen kind of software and data platforms. For certain companies, that might be a big data analytics platforms. For another company, it might be a mobile application. So we really try and see what do they need in terms of technology to advance the mission of their business. And so what type of companies are your clients? What, what, what does the profile look like? Um, the, all of our clients are U.S.-based, but they can be in any industry. Our top kind of clients are in, I would say, health tech in fintech, in just pure technology SaaS companies, um, and, in, and in ed tech. So we look for companies that say, hey, we're using technology to solve another problem. Um, like, you know, like in healthcare, one of the clients that is out on the West Coast, I'm really excited about, and they've been a client for, I don't know, five or six years. They help... Uh, Physicians' offices provide e-consults to people that are remote. So again, just think about this in this time of COVID, mm -hmm. right? So being able to give people that can't get to the doctor's office or live too far away uh, opportunity to talk to a cancer specialist or some other kind of doctor, you know, really can be life-saving. Oh, and absolutely, so yeah. Well, those you, are the, and ahead. you talked earlier about like just the the strides in COVID around, you know telemedicine. Uh, I don't know if you watched the show, This Is Us on NBC. Oh, but, makes me cry every week. Well, like the first two seasons, I don't think there was an episode where you didn't, they finally reached a point where they can't make you cry every week. Cause I mean, come <laughs> yeah. on. But the first two seasons were like, God, how do they do it? But, but this season they have taken mental health and a little hint of telemedicine to a new level. And I was watching this week's episode and I was thinking, this is really good sort of on a subtle way to show people it's okay to talk about these things. Right. But but the use of the of the 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 meeting with the mental health uh, professionals just sitting on your lap with your Zoom having the conversations to me I was like there's a lot of people who are going to see this who will be like oh this is okay now absolutely uh, yeah just that access to that ongoing care and for you know for veterans um, my brother's a veteran I'm trying to meet with his kind of physicians that all happens on Zoom now. But again, without telehealth, he would have gone months without being able you know, to have access to care. And yeah. so, yeah, so telehealth has had a great advance and we're happy to be a part of it in a, you know, in a small way. Well, good for you. Keep, keep up the good work. So, so Joyce, the last question I love to ask everyone who comes on this show is when you look out into the world of business, who do you think, wow, she or he, they're making waves. They're doing great stuff. I admire them. You know, there's, there's so many people in business and not in business that I admire. I want to, we started out on Austin. I'm going to focus on Austin because there's so many just powerful Austinites that, you know, for me, are they doing something uh, good in terms of growing an amazing company? But are they also doing something good for our community and making that better as well? 
So there's a number of people, you know, if I, I would quickly kind of list off, um, you know, people like Preston James with Dev Inc. that says, hey, I, he's really trying to make a difference on how we support, you know, Black and other minority owned businesses, very impressed with kind of what he's trying to do. If you look at Julia Cheek and what she's accomplished with Everly Well, that is incredibly amazing. She was a guest on this show like four or five years ago. I should have her back. You should definitely have her back. Although right now, trying to get the home test done for COVID, she's a little bit busy. She might not have the time, but, you know. (laughs) But yes, she'd be awesome kind of guest. You know, I look at someone like Mark McLean for SailPoint and just a true values-based kind of leader. You know, I look at someone like Bobby Jenkins and kind of the way that he's led and things he's done for Austin. So the great news is we have so many, I think, leaders, and I am very close with a whole bunch of kind of women CEOs in tech and out of tech that have, you know, continued to do great things to build great companies in Austin and, you know, lead with a place where they've had little to no access to capital. So there's, you know, women like Ellen Woods at VCFO. So I and, I have to jump in. I used to be the marketing director at VCFO. Oh, that's right. I, I know. Yeah. I am a back. huge fan of Ellen Wood and everything. She was one of the best bosses from the standpoint that she knew I wanted to go and do this speaking thing. And she said, great, do do good work for me and I will help you carve that path to that. Where a lot of bosses would be like, no, you can't have a secret dream. That would be yeah. against you know me. Do that on your own time. She was like, well, what if I gave you two extra weeks of vacation so that you could go and speak if the opportunity came, but while you're on the road, you still got to be working. And it was like, you know, she opened up the doors for me to, you know, pursue what I wanted to do. And not a lot of bosses would do that. So when you said her name, I had to jump in and, you know, give her a little check mark as Ellen's awesome. Well, and if you look at just the, the commitment she has made to Austin and what she has done for the Chamber of Commerce through her board service for years and years, I mean, Austin would be a a sadly different place kind of without her contribution. But, and I think she's just, you know, an example of one of the many leaders we have in Austin that are, you know, building great businesses and making Austin better in the process. Yep. Well, and, and you are one of those people as well. So Joyce, thank you for being here on making waves at at, at sea level. Any last words of advice? No, no. Thank you. Uh, People just take risks Believe in yourselves and believe in Austin and invest in the people around you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for being here. And thank you to the Austin Technology Council for being my partner for this episode and for the monthly arrangement we have to co-produce one of the episodes of Making Waves at Sea Level. Uh, We're going to keep doing this. And uh, hopefully, like I said, I think I missed a month or two, but but we're back on track and we'll keep bringing you those as, as much as we can. To everybody who tuned in and listened, I say it every episode, if it wasn't for the audience... Why would I do the show? So this is really all about you. I hope that you were inspired and you learned from today. We have like 612 episodes behind us and who knows how many more in the future. So keep tuning in every Tuesday and Thursday where we have interviews with people who are making waves, and people who are really cool like Joyce Durst. And next week we'll find somebody else. And you're like, how will you find anybody as cool as Joyce? We'll figure it out. We do it every single week. Uh, but in the meantime, go out there, flex your entrepreneurial muscles, make some waves. And while you're at it, Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.